Digital Drift episode 61, recorded Saturday 11th of April 2015, Daredevil, the Netflix series. When I was a kid, I used to dream what it would be like to live somewhere far away from Hell's Kitchen. But I realized the city was a part of me. It was in my blood. And I would do anything to make it a better place. Good and evil. Sometimes the difference between the two is a sharp line. Sometimes it's a blur. Sometimes we have to do things outside of the law. We're gonna make a difference. I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes, but we are. You're blind, but you see so much. I hear things. You know what they call stuff like that? Gifts. I'm gonna train you. Use it. There are other ways to see. I don't see the city anymore. There's only dark corners. I'll keep you safe, Karen. I have to be the man the city needs. What are you gonna do? Whatever it takes. We fight every night for something. When the sun sets, purple the same. You and I have a lot in common. We're nothing alike. We can't go back for nothing. Take what you need, say everything. Another man's evil does not make you good. I respect your conviction. The lone man thinks he can make a difference. This darkness is the light. I'm just trying to make my city a better place. Maybe if he had an iron suit or a magic hammer. That would explain why you keep getting your asses handed to you. Okay, we've just finished the 13 episodes. Some stuff we liked, some stuff we really didn't like, some stuff was possessed of a certain flawed, if compelling, quality. So we're going to go through it in the reverse of that order. So I suppose medium, bad, good. Because if we start off with the bad, it'll sound like we're moaning to begin with. If we finish with the bad, it'll sound it'll be a sour note to end on. So the bad has to be in the middle. It's a bad sandwich. It is a bad sandwich. <laughs> okay, so before we start, we're going to talk about the whole thing. So only listen if you've seen all of it. Okay? Spoilers, Sharon. Uh, right, so medium. Uh, it'll be interesting to see which ones of my mediums are, are on your your goods or or maybe even bads. Um, right, so I mean, in sort of running order of where we first see them, uh, Deborah Ann Wolf as Karen Page. She rates on the medium scale for me, as in she uh, there were some really good bits with her, and uh, she pulled off some really heartfelt performances. I never thought that she was flat as Karen, and she was she was a vibrant character. And she did some interesting things. I hate using the term interesting, but in this case, it works, um, f- especially for a female character, especially for a constantly threatened female character uh, to do. Uh, so what was what was your take on, on Karen? Um, given that my knowledge of the, uh, the character in the comics is minimal. Me too. I was impressed with where they went with the character after her introduction, which was reasonably standard yeah comes across female in difficulties gets her out of them 
Was she was a damsel? She was in distress. She couldn't handle it. She wasn't handling it. No, <laughs> um, it wasn't. You know, at the, least the, yeah. It wasn't the standard sort of uh, damsel in distress, but she was. Yeah, there in, was rather more to trouble. save her from than just a knife wielding, drooling psychopath. That came later. Actually. Indeed, they were savoring saving her from being framed as a knife wielding, drooling psychopath. Yeah, there was legal um, shit involved. There was yes, uh, but I think the way it was set up. They were obviously going for something that felt like your CSI, your NCIS, your, you know, murderer of the week. You know it's not going to be as straightforward as it looks, but the job of our rollicking heroes is to untaffle all of that. Yeah. Untaffle, um, that's a new word. Yeah. I like it. Um, it's taffled. <laughs> Rather, well, a lot of the plot of this uh, series is it taffled. It was. It was quite taffled. Um, but um, but I did think that her performance was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, she was channeling, or seemed to be channeling, several actresses that I really quite like: um, Sarah Polly and uh, Janelle Maloney, amongst them. Her character development, in terms of how she reacts to things. I would add Abby Cornish to that list as well. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, she is a very reactionary person. Mm-hmm. I would say that's not a criticism. Uh, they they stuck with that as being consistently her way of dealing with things. She comes Yeah, she doesn't across... just go like, oh, something terrible's happened, to call, curl into a ball. No. She attempts to do something, usually resulting in bad things happening. Yeah, that's well that's the thing. Her her proactivity it's almost like whenever she tries to be proactive and kind of take control and take charge of of the situation that she finds herself in, something goes wrong with it and she finds herself having to react. Yeah, she's a bit of a disaster area, frankly. She is a little bit, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, At least Matt won't blame himself if anything terrible happens to her. It's because she was near me. No, she's a disaster area. No, dude, she's been bringing this down for a long time. Um, But there were were certain things that I particularly liked, which um, I know you you didn't think was a, a massive big deal, but when towards the end of the series things happen that cause her to resort to drink Mm. it seemed pretty apparent that this was a habit that she had had for a long time (sighs) she might not do it all the time but having a very large bottle of scotch in your house which only has a third of it left um, and when the terrible thing happens that's the first thing you reach for Mm that speaks of that's usually the first thing you reach for when something terrible happens. Mm. And I, I, I mean, I don't know how much they're going to develop that. I know that kind of echoes a little bit the character from the comic book, so it seems like something that they feasibly could uh, develop further. Mm. Uh, but it, it just seemed like um, a, a touch that said there is more to her than just what you're seeing on the screens. You know, she is a character. She has a backstory. You may not know all of it yet, but, you know, there's there's edges to her and there is um, there is history to her, which is always a, a positive thing in sideline characters another, or characters who are in danger of being sidelined. Another positive, uh, she's definitely not a Mary Jane, definitely not being kidnapped and held at the top of buildings, screaming so that Matt can come and save her. No, in fact, the one time that does happen, she, that little little streak of proactivity comes out and she you know 
kind of accidentally, but sort of takes charge of the situation and deals with it. Yeah. Admittedly, there are consequences, but I was actually quite gratified that she did because, frankly, as soon as the gun went on the table, I was like, just grab it, just grab it and shoot him, just grab it and shoot him. Yeah. The, the, the amount of times I've actually thought to myself that and then the girl's gone, no, I can't, I don't know how to use guns. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, that, that, she gets in the middle for me, though, because I was never really floored by her. Mm. But, I mean, you know, still not bad at all. That was good. Right, so let's move on. Uh, quite good, subtle indication of Matt's powers. Not brilliant. Not as showy as the movie. And we're going to be comparing it to the movie a lot because I, it, it actually, there were more points of comparison than I expected. Um, however, they were so subtle often that um, you often forgot that he had these extra abilities, mm, which yeah. left him feeling not very super. And we'll come to that when we get to the bad. But it was quite good, subtle indication of Matt's powers. So, yeah. Yeah. I like the fact that they didn't explain it over and over again. Like, you know, he, he's got this special hearing. And they also, like, they, they kind of assumed you'd seen the movie as well. So yes, they didn't like. I certainly assumed yeah. that you know who Daredevil is. Yeah, which is uh, which is good because ultimately, if if you don't know, you can reacquaint yourself via the movie. And uh, if you um, don't have the movie to hand and don't have any interest in watching the movie, it kind of pans out throughout the series anyway. Yeah, I think there were there were things that I quite liked uh, the the effect that they had with the flames that kind of echoes what. Yeah. Um, the in the, the movie Daredevil has with the, the raindrops. Oh my God, you are so beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that that thing about how he, he can, after a fashion, see, it's just that everything is shrouded in flame. I liked that effect. I liked that idea. Um, I was impressed by the exploration of what that means for him internally that he, he is possessed of a, a, a rage and an anger that is going to find a way to come out unless he is very good at, at controlling it. However, I was more annoyed than I thought I would be by the implication that they've taken away him being blind. Yeah. It doesn't seem like much of a limitation at all. There was a bit when he was doing parkour, and uh, he was just, you know, running and jumping over the rooftops. And I thought to myself, at what stage does a small wall about knee level make a sound or a smell mm, that, that yeah. will indicate you've well, got to jump here, Matt, otherwise the, you're going to bang your knee? The suggestion is that, that basically he can see outlines of things, um, that he can see enough to... No, he's to, not really blind. Exactly. Enough to allow him to interact with the world, which is the case for a lot of people who are blind. Yeah, I mean, you could be partially sighted and basically be in that situation where you see everything in a sort of a blurry haze. Exactly. But what what he lacks is the detail, and yeah. I get that. And that's, you know, again, like I said, that they're kind of going with exploring the emotional elements to that. But... When it would have strengthened his character for that it. to be more of a limitation, though. Exactly. When he said it, and he was having that conversation with Foggy, to start with, it didn't really click. But then the more annoyed Foggy got at the idea that he could <laughs> actually see, the more annoyed I got. And I was like, but that kind of... You can pretty much see anything. That defined him in a way, the, the idea that he, he was blind and he was cut off from the... There the, was not one point in the series that like he dropped something on the floor and then had to feel around for it. Like it was like, like you th thought to yourself, if I was 
there with sight I could just pick this up for him or if I drop this thing of course I could pick it up but he can't there was never that sense of okay it doesn't matter how good his hearing is right now he can't just pick up something that's right in front of him Mm. if it's not making a noise or a smell there was never a moment of inventive look at this actual limitation see that's yeah that's the thing to present that that's fine but I think they still needed to put some emphasis on the things that Matt can't do because to to set him up as um, you know this this character who as you say has this limitation and then go oh actually that limitation that you thought he had isn't quite the same as it was and i i get that idea of of sort of you know stick saying that he's got to approach this in a way that says his blindness isn't really a disability yeah. But in a world of small details, it really is. I was thinking of that bit when he finds the bracelet that he gave to Stick. Mm. Wouldn't it have been awesome if he'd been like, right, I guess i got to clean this place up, and he'd just been sweeping up, and he hadn't noticed the bracelet right in front of him, and he just swept it away. Ooh. And th- that would have been this wonderful kind of, if only you'd known, Matt. Yeah. No, it would but, have been good. But he sort of picks it up and goes, oh, there's this bracelet here. I guess I'm not really blind at all. Anyhow. I mean, he found it by feeling it, to be fair. Yeah, but he found it at all, is the point. Mm, It was like, what are the odds he would find it? Mm. My my point is it's simply just to sort of back up your whole idea of, you know, that there need to be more of a limitation. They were were quite good, subtle indications of Matt's powers and his limitations, but they were almost too subtle and um, uh, never really kind of played into the plot. Yeah. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> now, a lot of people were, uh, have uh, praised uh, this next guy and said he was absolutely fantastic. I put him in the middle section because there were some bits I really wasn't keen on. Vincent D'Onofrio as Wilson Fisk. Now, is he, uh, is he in the good for you or is he in the middle? Hmm. This is a tricky one for me. Um, he would be very firmly in the good were it not for one thing. Uh-huh. Michael... Clark Duncan, <laughs> who was freaking awesome. Yes, still number one. Pin. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think he'd be happy with that. Yeah, I get what they're going. Especially for. since Sinofrio had so many more hours to really make his mark. Mm, yeah, I, I do get what they were going for, and obviously, a lot of what they were pitching with the way they'd portrayed his version of Fisk. Um, was that they were playing on the idea that he has vulnerabilities. Yes, he has vulnerabilities, but here's the thing. A man in his position hides his vulnerabilities, and he hides them well. Otherwise, he doesn't stay in his position very long. Yeah. And I I understand... Imagine being like that in prison. I know it's ironic, but uh, just like like specifically, if you sort of like, you're an enormous baby, which Mm. he is, he'd be a wet nurse in the first week. He's he is a crying bully too often, mm. um, and I do get that they wanted to formulate uh, layers to his character by introducing Vanessa and having you know how he reacts to his relationship with her. But here's the problem: she shows up so early, yeah. you don't really get a feel for how he put himself. She shows up before he does. Like you just see her and then the back of his head. Mm. But that means that all you've got to go on to tell you that this vulnerability is a new thing for him mm-hmm. is 
uh, Leland and Gao and Nobu talking about the fact that ever since this woman came along, he's been really off his game and he's not focusing and he's not concentrating. But that's all we ever see him do. Yeah, true. We we needed um, maybe if that had happened a little bit later in the series and like uh, the first couple yeah. of episodes. Like obviously, don't stick him in the first one. It was good to hold him back. Yes. But the first one, he needs to be. This is the you know the the storytelling trope. Once upon a time, there was, and then. With the kingpin, we start with and then. Exactly. So, yeah, they, it turns the corner and then we meet the kingpin and uh, he, he meets this lady and, and, and immediately comes off as... I really admire the fact that they actually went to to give this guy depth to make it feel like he uh, felt he was righteous, this was the right way to, uh, to, to go, rather than just have him be this great big, you know sumo wrestling sneering business suity bully like he was in uh, uh like he, he's he's particularly like the man from del monte in the 90s spider-man cartoon series he's like alfred hitchcock going yes well spider-man you come in here to my blah, 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 blah. get him my spider slayers but it almost seems like they undermine their efforts with how thuggish he behaves and how simple he ends up and as you, as you say, just it, 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 he wears his colours on his sleeve so often. And also, he's so brutal so often that when it happens, you're just, you're just waiting for it to happen. Mm. They, 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 they played that card again too early. Yeah, rather than having him, as, as I think it would have come across a lot better if he'd been very tight, very controlled, uh, very powerful for at least one episode. Oh, yeah. And then when he meets Vanessa, you see the change. Because, yeah. I mean, that's that's when you're looking for it. You know, Once he's behind closed doors, once he's sort of able to... Like, once the, the real man comes out, once mm. he's taken off the business mask, that's when you're really paying attention to his character. Yeah. But he was basically naked emotionally from the moment we first saw him. Mm. It's like they were so excited that they were trying this new approach with the kingpin that they forgot that they had to kind of establish him first. Almost like they've gone, look, we established him in the in the movie, or they established him in the movie. Now let's you know flip that immediately. Mm. Which uh, doesn't necessarily work if you're w- working in a system at, that operates outside the movie, if you're working to a television audience. Yeah. But no, we'll come back to D'Onofrio's performance, because it definitely figures throughout this. It definitely figures into the bad and the good. But uh, he ends up averaging in the middle for me. I was just going to reiterate that, um, that like I said, I, I think for what they tried to do and almost did, in all honesty, I think I'm going to put him in the good. Because overall, he was more to the good for me than not. Especially considering the Marvel villains we've really had so far. Indeed. He's got to yeah, be way, yeah. way up the top. Yeah, and in, in fact, in terms of complexity, and yeah. thank God they didn't just kill him. Jesus Christ, that was oh, terrible. Oh no, no, you don't spend that long building up a villain that layered and then just go. You know what? Dead. Yeah. See also major support characters, right? Uh, yeah, but we'll come to that. We'll come to that. In a <laughs> Um, I've also added to the medium the graphic novel aesthetic. Um, this isn't going to really take that long to say. There's, uh, uh, I think Chipman compared um, this most to Punisher Warzone, which I find an absolutely abominable movie to watch. Uh, but he, um, aesthetically, uh, it has that kind of um, ex- 
colourful noir, I suppose is the best way of putting it. Mm-hmm. It's not just drab and dreary. There are colours to it. There's reds and greens and a lot of sickly yellows. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, shadows and, and lights. This all just sounds way too basic. But um, the way it's framed, there are, there are certain moments and times when it really feels like a graphic novel and it really sells the world. On the downside, it sells a world so dreary that it feels like the Matrix and it actually feels like it's not part of the MCU. And that kind of plays into a, a major bad for me. We'll come to that later. But... Um, it feels like Daredevil is a a place and an aesthetic unto itself. Now, you could say that technically the MCU spans not only the whole world, but the whole universe. And why shouldn't there be loads of different aesthetics? And, you know, there are places in the world like Siberia that doesn't gel with uh, any place in Los Angeles. But it the, the, the point of connection was missed to that end. But it did feel... It felt more like a graphic novel than Ang Lee's Hulk, which we'll come to in a few weeks. I think uh, the aesthetic for me, I I kind of go with the medium. Mm-hmm. Um, I get what you mean about it not feeling like it has a place in the MCU at the moment. Um, I did like it. I thought for what they're presenting, it worked. I like the idea that this is the underworld that Tony Stark never has to get his hands dirty with. I like the idea that Daredevil is the hero who deals with the stuff that is beneath Captain America. Um, But I think for me, the disconnect lay in, um, well, as I put it to you, and I know you said you can't, and that's absolutely fair enough, but I can imagine Bruce Banner in this world, I can imagine Steve Rogers and Tony Stark in this world. What I can't imagine is Hulk, Captain America, and Iron Man. And Thor. And Thor. Black Widow, just about. Nick Fury, just about. Yes. In fact, I yeah. pretty Nick much... Nick Fury I, would work down here. I really want Nick Fury to turn up in Power Man, if they're going to call it that, or just Luke Cage, if they're going to go for the, the, the street name. Yes, indeed. But uh, you just for, for that level of approval of, uh, yeah... Okay, you could be a hero. It also felt like, I mean, I know this is like post-Winter Soldier, but surely someone of S.H.I.E.L.D. or something or someone should contact, you know, you've been like this blind vigilante. You've made the papers now. It would have been smart, I think, for them to have something like that, even just a hint in, even if it was just the final episode, just something to hook it in, a post-credit scene. Yeah. You know, that that was the thing that kept the chain of the Marvel movies going. It yeah. was the the hook between this movie and chain, the next yeah. movie, and the next and the next and the next. They haven't had anything like that to hook it in. Two framed New York destruction reports behind Ben Urich's desks notwithstanding. Uh, we'll get to that when I say the, the, the MCU links. Mm. But, uh, yeah. Let's move on to Toby Leonard Moore as Wesley. He was all right, a little bit too smug, and then left without a word, which is a damn shame because it looked like but that was the first episode that I thought he actually really likes Wilson Fisk. He, yeah. He's really genuinely devoted to him. Oh, he's dead. Yes. Okay. Well, that's a shame. Because mm. that, that's an unusual character type, especially you know, in a, uh, uh, a mobster setting, someone who's actually genuinely loyal. Mm. Yeah. Well, he's Smithers. Yeah. The Smithers Conciliary. 
Yeah. But there's not much more, more to say about that. He's smooth well, and oily. Well, not now. Yeah. <laughs> Judith Delgado as Elena, lovely, sweet, old Spanish lady. Um, she was the bellows that fired up the furnace of the heart of Nelson and Murdoch, attorneys at law. And I thought, yes, I want to see this case push through. Oh, she's dead too. Oh, my, brilliant. Okay. Well, that was horrible. And now I hate the kingpin. I fucking hate the kingpin. Uh, and I thought, no, 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 wait a second. Maybe... Maybe it actually wasn't him, and maybe he'd be disgusted by that. No, it totally was him, and he, he goes, oh, uh, well, I didn't have many choices. And you're like, no, fucking hate you, you total wanker. Here's the thing with the kingpin. It should feel like he has taken all of the people he's trampling on into his calculation. But it seems like he's a giant baby. Like, he doesn't really understand what's going on. Like, he doesn't understand people, but he also doesn't seem to understand business. And I don't see the link between him as a child and him as a ludicrously successful mobster businessman. I don't see how someone like that can really work all of these things. If you literally order a crackhead to kill a little old lady because she's standing in the way of your uh, real estate venture, there's nothing left there. There's nothing that I can like anchor myself to in terms of well, you know, at least he's he's trying he believes he's righteous. No, that's that's beyond terrible. That's pure evil. And it, it, that, that they hinder themselves by having him commit these atrocities because that kind of slight gray area that you could possibly put the kingpin it kind of their, their walls come up for certain people and they block him if, from entry to there if that makes sense now, he asks am i a monster yes yes you are <laughs> but he, he asks a woman who he's just told one of the bad things he's done and she goes no you aren't it's like no you're padme amadala in this scenario you're looking at this man's life through a cardboard toilet tube telescope you're looking at one incident and he's asking am i a monster for that no yeah but what about for the little old lady you had killed by a crackhead yeah yeah you are a monster at that point Ayelet Zura as Vanessa, she's, uh, she's the next on my list. She was middling. She was quite good. She reminded me of Shay from Game of Thrones in that uh, she seemed to have this ulterior motive the whole time and these shifty eyes. And also she occupies this weird moral vacuum where she's like, okay, I approve of this or don't approve of this. But there's not, like we don't ever see her home life. We don't see her ever communicate with anybody other than Wilson. So she's not even really a person. She's a mannequin that learned to talk. And that's not really the fault of the actress so much as that they didn't they they failed to give her scope as a character because they didn't give her scope and she's the only person giving Wilson scope apart from possibly Wesley not anymore. Uh, then it almost seems like they've cheapened the deepening of the kingpin there. That chain needs to carry on. She needed to have people that she talked to to prove that she was human. Like, she's literally in an ivory tower presiding over ridiculously overpriced pieces of art. Yeah. Which gives her a, a perspective too lofty to really be an adequate judge for Wilson. Mm. I, I, yeah, I, I can't disagree with anything that you're saying there. I like the character. Um, I, I was intrigued by what they were doing with her there were a few things that she said towards the end that suggested she might actually um not 
not be as bad as him, but that she is somebody who could truly become his partner. Oh, in yeah, no, she's going to be the Lady Macbeth. That's, that's what they're going to position her as in the next series. Yeah. As a, and that's going to be totally boring for me to watch that be who she becomes. Mm. I have no interest in that type of scenario. Yeah, whereas I've always been a big Macbeth fan, so I, <laughs> I suspect I will have a lot less of an issue with that depending on how they play it out. This is again. I mean, this this may be me, these may be mediums for us, but they could be high points for for you folks at home. This is just like what we've taken away from it. I, for example, hate crime dramas, hate thrillers along these like crime thrillers that focus mainly on the criminals. I hate power plays. I hate Game of Thrones. Now, I hate violent crime related TV shows. I hate police procedurals. There's almost nothing about the way Daredevil was set up that was going to make me like it, apart from the fact that it's Daredevil. So it's amazing I got through it, frankly. I, I, I find criminal-related power plays the most tedious thing on the planet. I sat through the wire like, come on, come on, do something that makes me think any of you people are human. And I sat through Breaking Bad thinking, I hate you people more and more each moment of this horrible, horrible show. I cannot wait for it to be over. And I eventually stalled. I couldn't finish it. It's too horrible. I hate the most beloved shows on TV. I hate them. I am the exception. I am the alternative viewpoint. And I don't pride myself in that. I feel like I'm missing out. But at the same time, I have tried. My God, have I tried to like these things. It's just nihilistic sociopaths. I find that so boring. I need the heart. I need the light. I need the warmth. I need Nelson and Murdoch to be fighting against this shit. And to that end, they did succeed in saying, look, this is actually about Matt separating himself out from this horrible, dingy black shit and saying, I'm not going to kill. That was a huge deal at that point. It, it ended on the kind of high note where it's like, no, we've got to stand against this tide. And so to that end, Daredevil has more chance than any of the other shows previously mentioned for it to really keep my interest. Yeah. So it's got potential. Not, I'm certainly not writing it off. Though it appears I have written off all the shows that everybody likes. But I apologize, folks. Oh, don't like Arrow either. <laughs> I don't like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I really liked Agent Carter. That was great. Probably cancelled now. Bob Gunton as Leland. Who'd have thought Bob Gunton was shifty and had an ulterior motive? Who'd have suspected Bob Gunton was ripping off the kingpin? What say you there, fuzzy britches? Anyway, Fondy Curtis Hall as Right, is this in the medium or the bad? This is still in the medium because right. he was a character who was he developing. Was he was he was great, but he was cut short so fast before his character could develop that it gets pushed into the medium. But yeah, I mean, you know, Von Dicotis Hall, excellent performance, wonderful kind of crumpled perspective on the world. When they introduced him as Ben, I thought Wow, that's fantastic. Making him this older guy who's been through the ringer, who's played this circus so many times before. Um, and then they developed his character and they, they gave him this backstory. 
um, with his wife and, again, winding him in with this idea of the average working person who who isn't up in the, fat, you know, rarefied air of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah. isn't protected by what I'm sure are extensive healthcare benefits that come with being, uh, you know, part of the, the government setup. Um, Send it to Tahiti. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, that kind of epitomised for me what I was really liking about this this being down in the guts of the New York that all the fancy superheroes just ignore. And I loved that. And when he was, um, you know, he and Karen were doing all the investigating and he was trying really, really hard not to get dragged into it, but his journalistic instincts wouldn't let him rest. And, and you know, he was getting uh, this feeling that he he was onto something and he couldn't let it go and then it got to oh we know what's going to happen next and I actually thought I actually thought when he turned around and Fisk was sat behind him I thought if you do this if you kill Ben Urich at this point you have lost me <laughs> They they did effectively lose me at that point. I mean, I, I sat through to the, the the rest of it, but a lot of the um, a lot of my hopes for the show dropped out at that point. Yeah, it was a total. I mean, this is in my bad list, but I suppose it can't not be mentioned at this point because uh, Hall did such a great job. Mm. It's such a total. What the fuck are you doing? Look, as the show was beginning to develop, and the obvious Batman, Nolan Batman um, influences influences became very apparent i thought there is a gordon shaped hole here really because daredevil needs to be in, in interacting with someone on the other side mm. basically someone who is trying to do their job and someone who is uh trying to if not necessarily directly protect people keep people informed in Yurik's case yeah. and you know you said well that's Yurik isn't it and I was like yeah okay so maybe they bring Yurik to the front and have Daredevil constantly talk with him and like he appeared a couple of times and chatted with him and it's like right well this might start to develop you fuck you it's, it's basically like a Batman TV show and Gordon gets killed in episode 10 mm. or 11 yeah. or 12 by the Joker and it's like right well all of that fantastic relationship that these two could uh, foster and actually for Gordon to end up being rather more interesting than Bruce himself, that's gone. What, what do you achieve by doing this? What do, you, what do you really achieve by killing a major support character like this at this early stage when there hasn't even been time for them to influence the main characters? Yeah, I think that was my issue with it because... If it had happened in series three... That would have been a huge blow because, like, he could have meant a lot to Matt yeah. and Daredevil and Foggy and uh, Karen and everyone else who sort of went in and out yeah. of their lives. And the audience would have had an opportunity to properly and fully engage with him as well. But as it was, it just came across a little bit too gleeful. Like, hey, we could kill anybody. You just don't know, do you? Well, which reminds me of a couple Matt. of other TV shows. Well, indeed, yeah. So yeah, they could kill Foggy, they could kill Karen. So what? Once they've they've gone, they've then got to bring in someone else for Matt to talk to. They probably will kill a couple of them. They'll probably kill Claire. Um, but the, the more people they kill, 
the less inclined I'll be to watch. Same as with Game of Thrones. I don't know why it works inversely with everybody else, but yeah, you lose me that way. There were rather a few callbacks to the movie, uh, even like even at the end. Basically, the end is like a a, a, a shot for shot remake of that last uh, bit in the movie, only with slightly less acrobatic leaping off. Um, and that's sort of good and also sort of bad. The nods and winks to the movie throughout the series, um, I actually really enjoyed. I I like Daredevil the movie. It's flawed, but it's it's something that. I almost think it's a shame that it can't be in the MCU because it fits, sort of. Um, and I was going to say, plus we could get Michael Clark Duncan playing. No, we couldn't. No, we can't. <laughs> Damn it. So I think the fact that they took the approach of we have two choices here, we can either pretend that movie doesn't exist or we can acknowledge it. I'm glad they went with the second one. Um The downside of that was that my brain kept trying to insert bad indie rock into the film. Gonna learn the hard way. It's not indie rock. It's actually, it's uh, um, like new metal and uh, uh, like rock pop. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, just every time they did a flashback to Matt as a kid... I kept getting it's not the attention that I want yeah, from you. Yeah, exactly. That kept playing in my head every time it cut back to my it. My God. I mean, but here's the thing. At least that had a soundtrack. This had yeah. one, no, two songs in it. It had uh, Nessun Dorma, the uh, piece of opera at the end, uh, and it had um, The Stones at that one point. It, it, that's another one in my bads. It it needed music. I mean, I know music costs money, but yeah, spend but the money. Really, it needed something. Something it like needed levity, lightness, emotional connection, sarcasm, jokes. Music is a really good shortcut for emotional connection, and by God, it needed some. Yeah. Even if you only do it during the flashbacks, that at least gives us a time and a date. What was popular in two thousand and ten? That could have been during the college bit. Well, obviously, that was the whole point of using the stones. But, yeah. you, you know, that's, that's a good trick. You don't just do it once. <sighs> anyway, um, it's not for comic book geeks, but for TV audiences. Now, I put that in medium because technically it shouldn't be for comic book geeks because Daredevil the movie was for comic book geeks. And look where that got them. Um, yes. the, the MCU movies are for movie audiences, but they put in winks and nods for comic book geeks. But there's almost nothing for geeks in this it's very much, uh, if you like TV shows, you'll like this. They, they tried their level best not to alienate anyone, which is both a strength and a weakness because it makes it accessible, but also bland. They, they made it that you definitely don't have to have read any Daredevil to enjoy it, and you can pick it all up as, as it goes along. Um, but there's not much to really find if you go looking. Interesting. I don't, I think you're right. Uh, and I am now racking my brains to think of anything that was particularly um, comic book linked. Um, there's one sideways joke about a Greek girl that Matt was hitting on in his Spanish class. Um, oh, so she sounds like a Mexican appetizer. I'm, you know, um, what? I, I love the foggy in this. Spoiler warning: that's he's in my goods. But I, <laughs> I also miss John Favreau. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Um, but I don't think that I would... Okay, let me put this another way. 
that didn't make it bland for me. Well, I, it, it won't make it bland for a lot of people. These are just these are mine. Yeah, um, but no, but no, no. A few I'm more just, bits that would have made me go, "Hey," would have been great. Uh, at, yes, at the end, like I, I'm a comic book geek, but the bit where Sticks talking to that guy who's like mm. um, looks all scarred, and I thought, "Who's that?" I know my comics, and I don't even know who that is. He's something to do with the hand. Also, no hand. Like, who owns the hand? Like, they're in the Wolverine, which suggests that Fox still have ownership of them. But they're not yeah. mutants, which suggests that Fox don't have ownership of them. And they were created by Frank Miller and incorporated into Daredevil, which suggests that Marvel should own them now. Confusing. Mm. Anyway, uh, once he was in the red, it was a little bit awkward. He was in in the black. Um, he, he had his established style, but when he was like when he went up, up and away after the uh, after the kingpin got collared, it was a little bit kind of whoop, 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 whoop. I'm off now in my red costume, which <laughs> kind of reminded me a little bit of the bouncy millennial rubber hoopla 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 turning into a rubber man and then back into Ben Affleck. Mm. Um. I, yeah, I, I get what you mean, but I, to be honest, I was too way about the red costume. Yeah. yeah, and we will talk more about the fights, I'm sure. Yeah, sure. They're in both good and bad. Um, yeah, but that that last one in the costume with Fisk, I was actually on the edge of my seat. You know, yay! Kick his ass. That was actually a very emotionally loaded fight. That's what they should have had. Exactly. The, the fights pared down to. Um, yes. You know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was good. Mm, it was. It, it's just a shame that uh, Wesley was dead, so uh, <laughs> Kingpin couldn't go, <laughs> from the Bronx, Wesley, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> yes, indeed. And the other uh, medium is that it's rather too enamoured of the Dark Knight. Now, I mentioned that one before. Again, it's good and it's bad. If you're going to be uh, influenced, be influenced by the best. Unfortunately, that leads to, and this is what now we've segued into the bad, tedious Batmaning. Yeah. There is a lot of Batman in this Daredevil. So much, so much Batman. There was somebody somebody put a tweet up, I can't remember who it was, but they said, Thank goodness nobody made Charlie Cox do the Christian Bale angry Batman voice. Dude, what were you listening to? Because they fucking did. He did it constantly. And there's a point where he's talking to Fisk on the radio and it's like both of them are trying to out-Batman each other. That was the, the that was when it reached maximum Batman apex. That he was the did. end of episode six, my least favourite episode, <laughs> yeah. when it just seemed like the overbail Nolan Batmaning would destroy the whole show at that point. <laughs> And it just it's it going to collapse in on itself, form a black hole, and suck the whole um, thing into. In all seriousness, Charlie Cox, if you imagine that Bale's voice, especially when he's angry, swear to me, is eleven of Batman, and yeah. and when he's like just trying to talk normally, and in in the in the third one, and just can't talk like a normal person, is like, it's not who I am, but what I do that defines me. That's like a nine, Cox really kept it down to a four or five most of the time. Most of the time. Like, but the one of the time he got up to about me. seven, I'd say. A couple of times. Uh, he, he went up, but then he, he dialed it back. And I think there was a, a conscious decision to do a Batman-ish voice, 
but not to overdo it. So I suppose he kind of does. Uh, Bale does a much softer version in Batman Begins than he ends up doing in The Dark Knight onwards. Yes. Yeah. He's like, I'm a friend. I'll be around. But I mean, no matter what you do, Lego Batman's out there now, yeah. and you can't not go. Sound okay, like Dad, we're I read your too. damn instructions. <laughs> I, it, <laughs> I, I think there's more of Batman Begins in this. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an extended 13-episode Batman Begins. Yeah. Um, I mean, particularly in... Um, there's a couple of things that Claire said that made me go, you're just doing Rachel now, aren't you? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, it's rather too enamoured of the Dark Knight. Sometimes that works to its strengths. There were times when it transcended TV and actually seemed really... Um, uh, quite epic uh, and uh, uh, cinematic in its style, but then there are other times when it just seemed like it was just trying to hit these beats again, and we've seen that done. We've mm. seen that done. We've seen it reach an apex of absolute brilliance, and we've seen it descend into actually not all that good at all. So it's, you know, uh, uh, Nolan's Batman uh, had its time, and nature selected it, for extinction. <laughs> Zack Snyder, be warned. <clears throat> he ah, now that's another thing. He never went all the way over into Rorschach. Yeah, no. Uh, this will come into the whole thing about Charlie Cox as, uh, as Daredevil in, himself, but um, you could always see Matt under there. You could always yes. see Matt angry, wanting to beat on these guys, uh, but and being frustrated and, and going. But he 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 never just like stood on the rooftop going, "This is my city. It stinks, and and yet I love it." And like like there was never a point where Daredevil was ridiculous, which is great because they held that yeah. back and they reined it in. So that's to be commended. Uh, however, there were too many fights in alleys, and I think pretty much everyone, even if you love this show, you got to admit that by the time it became one per episode at least, Matt, like someone's in an alley and then Daredevil jumps down and fights with him. It, it just got kind of boring because he only has about uh, 10 moves, really. And we, once we'd seen those 10 moves in, in various different combinations, it just became about how long it's going to take him to take these guys out. And once we'd seen the best fights, the ones that were less good became really less good, if you're not saying. Mm-hmm. They did. And um, like, if we're doing to talk about the bad, the worst of these fights was when the he went to the costume maker. Because costume maker turns around and goes, you shouldn't be here. And immediately there's a fight. And he's just beating his head against the thing. Bang, bang, blah, 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 blah. And then eventually they fight to a standstill. And the costume maker's like, oh, God. Blah, blah, blah. And it becomes apparent. And it was apparent when he came in and drank the chocolate milk to me. And I'm, you know, maybe Matt couldn't see because he, he, but he'd have smelled it. That this guy is actually, uh, that, that he has learning difficulties. He has the mind of a child. And then for Matt to go in and li- beat the living shit out of him, and then they get into a conversation. It's like, you know what? That fight did not need to happen. Mm-hmm. That could have been a confrontation. And then Matt realizes that this guy does not pose a threat to him. And it could have been like, oh, my God, there's going to be a fight. This guy looks handy. And actually, no, he's a gentle giant. That would have been really good. Instead, there was another lame fight, and it's just too many. So there's at least 13 fights in this. We could have done with five. 
But that's just us. Maybe everyone listening is like, oh, I love the fights. I want some more fights. In which case, great, because I guarantee in Daredevil season two is going to be more. And (laughs) go see The Raid and The Raid 2, because, my God, you want some fights, man. But that's the thing. We've just seen The Raid 2, and you're overload on fights. Around about halfway through (laughs) that film, you're like, I can't take any more. We're all fought out. I had to close my eyes for a lot of The Raid 2. Yeah. Understandable. Um, and actually, I, I was thinking afterwards, now, does that mean I've really spoiled my enjoyment of the film? No. And I'll tell you for why. Because um, it's great? Um, it, it is a really good film. Yes, it is. And if there's something about the way I interact with on-screen violence, if it's too extreme and it's too... I wouldn't even say realistic because they kind of, it's hyper real. The the sounds and everything that they put together make it too intense. And I need to be able to filter that. I need to be able to control that because otherwise it kicks me out of the emotional engagement of the film. Because if I'm engaged with these characters and I'm engaged with the story and then something happens that literally gives me bone splintering crunching things happening to these people i i switch off i can't help it i can't um you can't engage with it if it's genuinely horrific exactly it's it's got something to do with um empathy levels i i can only assume that it's something to do with that but i have two choices at that at that point either i switch off entirely or i dissolve into a crumpling weeping heap on the floor Uh, even i got there where the the uh, the last fight with the the big curved knives at the end of the raid two even i was just going by the time that one was done i was actually genuinely shaking it was just so horrible But being able to, um, you know, and it's actually, for me, it's quite simple. All I have to do is turn away so I can hear it. I'm just not necessarily looking directly at it. Um, And that enables me to to know what's going on and know that horrible, terrible things are happening, but continue to be emotionally engaged with it. Now, I really wanted to emotionally engage with Daredevil. And there were points and there were rather too many of them where the level of violence and the frequency of violence as well. One or two moments of these very, very intensely violent situations distributed around the series wouldn't have had the same impact, I think. But because it was again and again and again and again. It's it two or three per episode for the first exactly. few. And you know, it's like they've paced them out and you sat there thinking, okay, it's been about 20 minutes. We're probably due for somebody getting stabbed in the eye right about now. Um, and that completely disengaged me, which was so frustrating. Basically, there is a level you can get to of intensity of like where um, something horrible is about to happen and you pull away the camera and then the thing happens or like you, you frame it in such a way that the audience is made aware of it without literally shoving the audience's face in it. And there are just a few times where it goes to that 11, where it goes to that 110%. And this for me is symptomatic of it being, of it following on from all of this TV I've just been mentioning. I have a, I have a problem with the fact that TV has gotten to this level of brutality 
because not only do they have to one-up themselves every week in the, no, well, we had this really gruey bit in episode five and we've got to somehow surpass that. They're one-upping each other. So like you can't like, like just a crime scene investigation is not going to be interesting enough. You've got to make it more exotic. Another TV show I really didn't like was Hannibal because like it became a monster of the week show very quickly. And it was like, well, this serial killer buries people alive and mushrooms grow out of them while they're alive and he keeps them alive. That's exotic, isn't it? And it's like, no, that's just grim horror. Maybe that's actually happened, but it seems like you're just trying to disgust us and give us nightmare fuel. Again, I'm sure there's people out there who are like, no, I just love every single... It's like trying hot sauces and like, how much hotter can we get with this one? But there is that sense of one-upmanship where it's like, at what point is this just nihilistic layering horror upon horror just for people to consume dead-eyed with no real ability to actually feel the smaller scale anymore? You're right about the nightmare fuel. That I mean, I I find it very difficult to dismiss some of these images. I I have um, I, I have some difficulties with uh, automatic negative thoughts, and um, I get some quite unpleasant visualizations from time to time, which I find it very difficult to get rid of and very difficult to dismiss. I've got enough of those images in my head already. I don't need more. And I think that's why I've reached the point now in my life where I'm quite willing to say, you know what, this level of violence just isn't something that I I want to connect with. Um, For example, the uh, bit where um, the guy uh, who'd been absolutely psychopathic the whole way through... um, Daredevil beats him down and he's beaten and he's done. And then he says, because I've just told you about the kingpin, he's going to kill me with terrible amounts of pain. Then he'll come after my family and everyone I've ever loved. And you think to yourself, wow, this guy, psychopathic though he is, is actually a person. And you actually, like, there was a little bit of tenderness there. You're like, oh, okay. Well, that's that's an interesting way to end the scene. And then he goes, and then runs face first into a spike on purpose. And they ram it in your face. And you're like, a face on a spike bet you didn't see that coming um yeah you know what you didn't need to do that shit you could just have had him like jump off a very high ledge or something so that it becomes a pa- you know he falls and pff, he dies and it's like he just needed this to be over with the point is made it's a symbolic uh, death he like i mean just doing that it's like oh maybe he really was just that fucking crazy that he'd choose that as his method of death so suddenly that engagement I had with him, just get rid of it. Don't need it anymore. Right, we need 50 then, but at least I can focus. <laughs> what? I've pierced my foot on a spike. <laughs> it rubbed me freaking ass like... <laughs> and that is a brilliant way to fritter away crafting characters and suggesting that everybody you're seeing on screen is a human being, even the crazy ones. And that scotches it. Not for everyone, but like the Russians, it was like, okay, Georgi and Fyodor, or whatever their fucking names were, they love each other, they care about each other. That's not going to stop them from snapping rib bones out of this guy to use as shivs. We don't need to see that shit. We don't need to know about that shit. What did that achieve? Really? Why is that in Daredevil? Why is that, by turns, related to Iron Man? and the Hulk, and Thor. Why is that in this? What did that really achieve? I, I, I 
honestly, there are times when going that far over the line for no real reason is just deplorable. I understand you're making TV for adults, <clears throat> but I don't think necessarily that being adult means that that needs to be included. And I don't no. necessarily think that being included makes it more adult. In fact, no. it's kind of more juvenile. The other thing about the horrific violence is pacing. Because we, the, one of the first things we see the kingpin do is smash a Russian's head in the door over and over and over again until it's just like, it's just, he destroys his fat head. And then it's like, I think basically it was a point where I was like, oh God, that's horrible. Oh God, that's really horrible. And then like blood was cascading down and I just shouted at the TV, we get it. Here's the thing, folks. If they'd held that back, that one moment of absolute savagery, and held that for just Ben Urich. I mean, it didn't actually have that, like, not that level of gore, just the level of intensity of, like, how angry Wilson was. If the whole way through he'd been just holding it back, holding it back, and you'd be like, this guy's a powder keg. He's going to blow. He's going to blow. What's going to make him blow? And then that, with Urich, had made him kill Urich. That would have felt like a moment. Instead, it's just we're putting the guy, and you know what this guy does, in the office of this guy who is totally asking for it. And guess what happens? As Which, which has a horrible inevitability about it. As opposed to, I don't know what's going to happen now. Mm. You know, when, when, he, when they start talking, I'm like, I'm like, well, obviously he's just going to savagely murder him because we've seen him do that. It keeps people guessing if you don't show your hand all straight away and throw ketchup at the screen. <laughs> you know? You know? Way well, hey, four aces, look! Okay, who's betting? <laughs> also, um, there's a hell of a lot of Matt beating up and torturing criminals, and... Uh, Again, this is this I, I believe was probably most likely started by Twenty Four, uh, in that Jack Bauer tortures the uh, people that he comes up against in order to uh, glean information and move forwards. That's a very very right wing action thriller, uh, and obviously with Daredevil being written by Frank Miller, who's horrifically right right wing and turned Batman into this kind of I, I shoot rapists in the dick with batarangs kind of guy, and Robocop into I shoot rapists in the dick, and Daredevil into I kick rapists in the dick. That's Frank Miller. That's <laughs> fine. Miller didn't actually write Robocop in which Robocop shoots a rapist in the dick, but he did write the script treatment for Robocop 2, which they subsequently threw out. A version of that, however, did get released in comic form later. The point I was making was that he seems to be right there when it comes to... 80s depictions of extremely right-wing anti-heroes in comic book form enacting modern male fantasies of punishing criminals physically. He likes that. Like, a lot. Uh, and I was actually really oh, pleased at how not very Frank Miller this really was. It was more liberal-leaning, if anything. But then there was this, like, like Matt... Real, like every time Matt was going to torture someone, immediate punch to the head, punch to the head, punch, punch. Even the Joker says, don't start with the head. It gets all fuzzy. If you're trying to extract information, there's other ways than just bashing their head like a watermelon. And it just seemed that 
that Matt's got this rage in him that he can't control. He doesn't have to interrogate everyone. He doesn't have to interrogate a guy per episode and beat on him. Again, this just relates back to too many fight scenes, too many torture scenes, too many scenes of horrific violence. Just mix it up. One episode, have a fight scene. One episode, have an interrogation. One episode, have some horrific violence. But not three times an episode for each. I think that Matt's uh, rage is something that I think they're seeding for the character. So I can sort of get where that's going um, and why they would put that in and and focus on it the way they have. Uh, But there were many, many instances where they decided to go very detailed on things that could have just been hinted at. Yeah. Um, like you said about the scene with the with the Russian head and the car door. Russian head. If if they had just had Fisk slam the door once or twice and then cut and it'd be, to it'd just basically headless been body being no no not even the body the oh just, yeah yeah just just the body and then like the um camera sort of panning up the body and stopping before it got to the shoulders and have mm. his brother say where is his head. Yeah, or or something. Just so you're like, oh god, that must have been awful. That is holding it back. Yeah, or um, the bit where he's um, uh, torturing the guy for information on the roof, and Claire's with him, Mm. and she says, no, 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 don't do that. Go for the trigeminal nerve just by his eye. Yeah, and then you cut to her sort of flinching as as this guy screams, like, oh god, that must have been horrible. But instead, it's like, look, he's actually fucking slashing him in the fucking neck. Isn't that brilliant? No, it's, it's just really painful it's, to watch. Yeah, stop, it is. Please? And I mean, my my dad has trigeminal neuralgia. I know what that kind of pain does to people. Um, it, you don't have to go that detailed. We haven't mentioned Madame Gao. She's in the good section. It's great to see a female crime boss, especially an elderly, Asian, wise one. I particularly like her assertion that one can either be known as a saviour or an oppressor. But you can't be both, which is a great way of summing up that your good intentions are for shit if you do mostly terrible things to others. Our time on this planet is limited, and no matter how much we are able to justify our actions to ourselves and reckon on what sort of person we are deep down, it will always fall to other people to define us in history. Let's just get out of the bad, because it feels like we're ragging on this too much. We'll just hop, skip, and jump through the rest of the rubbish. Episodes 3, 4, 5, and 6 were pretty awful, and by the time I got to 6, I was like, you know what, I, I, I pretty much hate this show. Just all of the shit with the Russians and the torture and the horrible and the kingpin and the just horrible. And that's when, like, at the tail end of that one, there was the Batman off over the, the, the phone. And it was like, oh, this is just grim. I don't want to be in this world. But then Seven came along and it's the one with Stick and you got much better things. So basically, one and two, really good. Three, four, five, six, ugh. Seven, and then several of the other ones after that were really pretty good. So it picked up, thank God. Yes. Utterly tedious black costume. It's so boring, and it didn't feel super. And Dread Pirate Roberts. Dread Pirate Roberts, as several people have said that. And, um, and that's it. It's just, 
I get that it was like a, a year one and he's working his way up to it, but it limited the series and made it actually feel not super at all and not part of the MCU. It didn't feel exotic enough. That's the thing. It's, um, we're about to do an episode where we talk about what makes a superhero. There has to be a certain amount of not normal about a superhero. And him in his black pajamas was a bit too normal. There needs to be um, a combination of reality and myth. Yeah. And if you don't it's not have symbolism enough symbolism as well, the suit has to mean something. Exactly. If if you don't have enough myth, then it's just a story about a vigilante. Hmm. It's it's kickass. But no, because even Kickass wanted to be something. Basically, I, I like the fact that they finally went red at the end. I also like the fact that uh, Vanessa talked to him about the various shades of red and that they would represent the family and the heart and the color of anger. And that that would actually... Ha- I, I hoped at that point that Wilson would uh, you know, basically buy that painting and aggressively send it to Matt to go there. You should have listened to the lady. I've done it for you. That would be good. Just you know, just to say you're in my pocket, lawyer. Mm, that would have been an extra dimension to his character. Yeah. But they decided to have him horribly, savagely beat Benyarek to death instead. So, um, yeah, the other, and this is the worst part of the band. I mentioned it already. Didn't feel like part of the MCU, and this could relate to the fact that it didn't feel super. But um, aside from a couple of references to it, if you'd taken those couple of references to the MCU out, it wouldn't have. It, it like make him if there'd been a lamp. They, then it would have been exactly the same show. This did not feel like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't feel like part of the MCU, really. It felt like a very... T- I mean, we're not going to do a show on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Maybe if we see season two and it's really good, then we'll talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But it just bored the pants off me. And I sat there waiting for it to end. And then it finished. I really like Clark Gregg. But... Everything else about that show is so bland and boring and 90s TV. And it reminded me, most of all, of a TV show called Mutant X. And that's not a good thing. And that didn't feel like part of the MCU. But by comparison to this, it felt like the pilot to Iron Man. Um, so I don't believe that this is part of the MCU. I don't believe that this Daredevil could turn up in Civil War. I don't believe that Cap could turn up in this Daredevil. Um I'm not buying it yet. And that's a shame because the Marvel Cinematic Universe is my favorite thing ever. There is nothing higher than it. It recently outstripped Lord of the Rings. I fucking love the MCU. So I take anything that's connected to it very seriously. This is not the bottom of my, the MCU pile. That's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, but Agent Carter was above it. That doesn't mean that aspects of this show were not superior to many aspects of those films that I do prefer. But as a whole, aspects of it dragged it down to that level and it didn't, it didn't grab me mm. in that same way. I was still, I mean, you know, when we finished, I was like, do we even do a podcast on this? Are we just going to annoy people who loved it? And you know, I'll take that risk. I'll take that risk. Because a lot of people who loved it and will have already turned off by now, and, and thank you for carrying on listening to us moaning about it, if you are still listening. We're about to get to the good stuff. Oh, there's another thing. No way for blind people to enjoy the show yet. A lot of people said that. There was no audio descriptive uh, option for Daredevil. Netflix have answered within a few days. 
and they're already setting that plan in motion uh, and they'll be opening that up to other shows and movies on Netflix. So absolutely, when something like this doesn't feel right, mention it. Don't be self-entitled and go, we deserve this. But you've got to ask for these things to get them. <laughs> the kingpin smashes his head in the door again and again and again. It's just a and red again, mist. Now. And again, and again, and again, and again. There is a splash. Oh, interesting. The next bullet point just says complete and utter waste of. And I can't remember what the of was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was my last bad point. So what was the waste? Uh... We're at answers on a postcard, folks. You tell us in the forum. What was it a complete and utter waste of? Okay. So now we're on to the juicy stuff, the good. John Patrick Hayden as Jack Murdoch. Uh, he was only in it briefly. This is Matt's father. Um, really got to me. And uh, I think this was episode two, wasn't it? Cut Man. Uh, where we're sort of flashing back to uh, young Matt. And I'm going to include this Skylar uh, Gertner as young Matt as well. He was fantastic. Oh, he was. He was really good. And the reason these episodes were so good was because the more we know about young Matt, the more we know about older Matt, the more we can root this in. Because he is absolutely a character who is the sum totality of his experiences. And we need to see those experiences so while, you know, you could get away with not really seeing Tony Stark growing up, with Matt, you need it. Interesting point about episodes three, four, five, six that we really didn't click with and really didn't like. No flashbacking. Stop. Because they were very much dealing... Flashing back? They were very much dealing with um, an immediate situation involving angry, torturous Russians snapping rib bones. Yeah. <laughs> And getting smashed in car doors. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, basically the kid gave it a, a full performance. I mean, again, it's very, very difficult to get decent child actors. Uh, recently we saw Maleficent, and I was just thinking, of all the young girls who auditioned for young Maleficent, this was the one they chose. And Christ, she's only in it for about five minutes. But she couldn't deliver one line well. And this kid really sells young Matt. Skylar Gardner. So, yeah. And the relationship between him and, uh, and his father, there was, a, there was a, a tenderness there, but there was a tension and a conflict. And it felt like there was a history there. And that was just excellent episodes. Those were great TV. And Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock, one of the absolute highlights, specifically as Matt more than Daredevil, although he is absolutely fucking incredible with his fight. He just trained like a motherfucker to be able to fight like that. Was that all him? I'd say if it's not all him, then there's going to be some stuntmen who do some of the aerial stuff, but a lot of the sort of groundwork will be him. Mm. Okay. Because that, that mask would be a very easy way to hide a stuntman. If, if Charlie Cox himself hasn't, didn't do a lot of those fight moves, then I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised. But even if he didn't, it convinced us either way. Okay, if, if it wasn't him, then excellent editing, because we were convinced it was him, or at least I was. Yeah, so either way, it's a it's a huge plus point. Uh, but yeah, as Matt Murdock, he was a character I wanted to know more about, I wanted to follow, I could have done with a lot more. I can't believe I'm even saying this. Legal shit, more lawyer stuff. Less fighting, more lawyer stuff. He's a lawyer, was... for fuck's sake. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, those uh, those red glasses are a wonderful kind of character affectation that make him 
Murdoch, so excellent bit of uh, uh, set dressing mm. and um, a bit of wardrobe, sorry. And yeah, he, he's he's just handsome enough to, to, to be compelling in that regard, but also he's uh, got that um, twinkle to him and uh, kind of a, you're not quite sure about him, but then he's got that rage in there that you can totally believe he is just this He's a wild animal that he can just about keep on a leash throughout most of the day. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I'm agreeing with you thoroughly on the whole Charlie Cox being in the mm-hmm. the good section. He was fantastic, brilliant as as Daredevil, and as you say, even better as Matt. He, he puts the character across. Um, very subtly in places he's got the vulnerability there he's got the 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 suppressed anger very likable to be suppressed anger and to be likable i mean christ looking flip this around and look at christian bale he is a dislikable shit the whole way Mm. through those back yeah and and those right one of the the key things with matt that they keep coming back to because foggy keeps ragging on him about it um is his whole um charming persona hooks up with girls with alarming regularity and and breaks up with them with equally alarming see regularity much evidence of that. and well no you don't see it but you can see that it would happen mm. as you say he's charming enough for it to come across that that's believable oh, a little bit like uh, young um, charles xavier in uh, x-men first class yeah, they do it in the ah, that, yeah, that's my that's that wounded man thing again mm-hmm. that I was telling you about. You do like your um, wounded man. I do, and oh my god, he is hot. <laughs> I know you said just good looking enough, but he is hot. Okay, I don't know. He's a very handsome man, as, as uh, Foggy Nelson said. Well, well, I really liked um, Charlie Cox in Stardust, yes. especially with the slightly longer hair. <laughs> nice. I'm kind of bewildered as to where he's been since Stardust because he's an excellent actor. I tell you where he's been. TV. He's been in the gym. That guy is cut. <laughs> <laughs> this one's going on Facebook. Um, but, do you ever uh, believe yeah, that he in, can interact with Thor? Yeah, in the movie, they do that thing with the answering phone message where the girl calls up and says, you know what, Matt, this isn't working out. We just mm. we can't see each other anymore. Um, but um, And in, and in this, it's... too good in bed. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's creepy because I know you can't see what you're doing. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, it, it's it's mostly Foggy talking about it enviously. Mm. Um, but it it's believable. It is very believable that well, that is Matt's history, and that is you see it when he interacts with Karen. You see it when he interacts with Claire. Um, his his way of relating to people, and this has nothing to do with the with the blind uh you know oh, vulnerable guy please take care of me kind of thing that is referred to you know this is his his chick magnet act um but i think it's to do with this whole thing with stick telling him don't connect with people don't engage with people um so on one level he's connecting with inverted commas as many women as he can to prove that he's not gone down that road but on the other hand, he can't maintain any of those. You can still connect with them with your penis inside them. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> uh, but that's got nothing to do with 
um, him be, you know, it's it's not, oh, no, you can't get involved with me because I'm a vigilante and it's dangerous. And if people come and hurt me, then they'll hurt you, too, which is very, very old and very, very cliche. Yeah, he manages not to be melodramatic about it. Yeah, it, Considering it is literally... the ridiculous melodrama of the Amazing Spider-Man films, mm-hmm. it's yeah. really, it's it's excellent to see him being so down to earth about who who he is, but to be so quiet and secretive and like to internalize the whole daredevil side of it. Like he didn't yeah. even give it a name until the very, very end. Just mm-hmm. that he has no one to talk to about it. And so he doesn't like stand on the rooftop and go, it's my curse. He just yeah. is daredevil. And also he's doing this whole thing without really using his eyes very much. Yeah. Because mask and glasses and, yeah. you know. Except for the scenes where he shouldn't be maintaining eye contact with people, yet somehow he is. Yeah, he didn't have that sort of faraway <laughs> stare that uh, that the average blind person tends to have. I mean, I would say, blind people, what did you think? But that's the dumbest thing I could possibly say. <laughs> well, Scott Glenn seems people to manage who know it. Blind so... people, maybe just let us know, because uh... mm-hmm. so yeah, Scott Glenn. Ah, oh, Scott Glenn was excellent as well. I don't know if he, if he, yeah. if he was in Blind Justice with Rutger Hauer but he could play Rutger Howe in a remake of Blind Justice. He had that kind of bad father figure, bad teacher, but at the same time, electric presence going in spades. Mm-hmm. It was excellent to see um, when you could make out that what he was saying was going to have a positive effect and a negative effect. Yes. That was excellent. That rather than just being, oh, this guy's a bad teacher. He'll only teach you bad things, or he'll only teach you good things. You need to, you need to smarten up and be disciplined. It was a case of he just happens to be the teacher who came along at just the right time. Although they were very coquettish about Matt's mother, they were like, um, like you know, Jack Murdoch talks to her clearly on the phone, and then uh, they cut to a nunnery f- shortly afterwards, and it's like. Um, and what about the mother? Uh, she's uh, none looks around into room on the right. <sighs> Gonna go ahead and bet dollars to pay off. She's a nun. But why does she have to keep her identity secret? Why? I suppose that's it. Just it's it's a comic booky trope to be able to have the mum come back at an opportune moment. Mm. But uh, yeah. Interestingly, though, you said um, that scene where Jack talks to somebody on the phone um, that you assumed it was his mother. I assumed it was his grandmother. All right. Because he actually said, he says later on when he's talking about his dad, um, that he his dad wasn't particularly Catholic. His grandmother was really Catholic. Well, also, if it's in the comics, it, it could be completely different. Yeah, it might not happen at sure. all. I mean, in the yeah. comics, spoiler warning, <laughs> is killed. But... I would pretty much put, put money on being killed at some point in this because of what they did to um, Ben. Mm. And this Game of Thrones mentality of who's going to die next? Which is a horrible way of looking at, at people that you want to get involved with. Yeah. Jesus. It's a, that is a marvellous way of making sure that people don't connect with any of your characters. Yeah. Oh, God, I can't think of anything worse, actually. Also, that's the thing. It weakens the work itself. What's the thing everyone now knows about Game of Thrones? How much much effort and work has George R. R. Martin put into those books for well over, like, two decades now? Mm -hmm. And and what have people reduced that work to, thanks to the show? 
a shooting gallery. Just everyone's going to die. Stop killing our favourite characters. It's a joke. It's a bad joke. And as popular as the show is, it cheapens the work. Mm. And I'm not even a fan of the work. I find it really boring. But I know that there's loads of people out there that love Game of Thrones the book and love Game of Thrones the show and probably would rather it wasn't just who's going to die next. I think, though, the key difference between the the two, and obviously this is nowhere near the levels of Game of Thrones. Well, the in difference terms in of terms of, of characters of in horrible Marvel ways. comics and, um, uh, and this TV show is that everyone's going to get brought back at some point. This is very true, yes. This is Marvel, guys. If they're dead, they're not really dead. Yeah, heaven has a revolving um, door in Marvel. <laughs> it does, in the Marvel universe. Um, some would say the same for the movies, but we actually ended up listing quite a lot of people who died and did not come back. True, true. Um, but with the thing with Game of Thrones is that after um, a certain point, the quality of the of the writing itself and of the show outside of the horrible murder scenes deteriorated noticeably um and with daredevil there was never any question for me that what was going on around the horrible violent scenes and what was going you know what was going on around this idea of you know you don't know who we're going to kill next we could take anybody um the the writing was great it was really good they knew what they were doing in terms of dialogue they knew what they were doing in terms of character um uh, interaction and uh, the the legal discussions where they sat around the table and th- this whole thing about you know if i'm i mean i'm i'm not a lawyer but i'm guessing that if you are the idea that it's not all these incredibly dramatic close to the wire courtroom scenes actually no most of what it is is very boring research and um uh, background investigations and checking your facts and uh, that was what they focused on and i thought that was great and uh, more of that, please. As as the series progresses, I would really like to see more legal shit. More, well, not not just legal shit, but more of the conversational stuff. More of the uh, the people standing in a room talking um, and uh, uh, exchanging information and discussions about um, their their mental state and their emotional state and their history and that kind of thing and less dark alleys which are the same dark alley over and over again with the same guy getting getting beat up over and over again in exactly the same way there there is a real minimum standard of how much you can do with that or maybe i mean a maximum standard there's only so far you can take it anyway before it's it just becomes incredibly repetitive so if they can downplay that and focus more on the the dialogue and the writing and the characters then i'm i'm in for more as am i Uh, i'm i'm definitely uh my appetite has been wet but by the time we get more daredevil we're also going to be getting other seasons of different shows as well and that's true this universe really like if they're not really going to branch it into the movie mcu and i don't feel like they really have to mm-hmm. while i did say that it, you know it doesn't feel really feel part of the mcu if luke cage is a great series if alias is a great series oh hang on aka i've got to call it now thanks to that other show um <laughs> 
And I don't know about Iron Fist. Iron Fist, how is that not just going to be lots of punching in alleys? <laughs> Alley puncher too. Mm. Um, it's like the Iron Fist story. Yeah, if if they start getting good, and then it it you know eventually you start getting scenes where like all four of these guys are in the same room, um, and they all want different things. That could be really excellent, and that actually does interest me. It's it's not real. I mean, it's obviously we've been down on the, on the the violence here, and that, that really just comes down to taste. If they can just get past that preoccupation with grooviness, I don't know if I don't I don't think they're going to because, as with the Transformers films, there is no reason for TV to hold back on that stuff, and in fact, they get better ratings if they do go grooey. Um, then even if this does form sort of a bubble within the MCU of things that can only happen on these R-rated shows and have no bearing on the rest of the MCU, and that the MCU will have no bearing on these... I mean, because think about it, they can't really do... I mean, I suppose they could do an R-rated Defenders movie, but considering the MCU films are kind of like a big jigsaw and you see one and then you see another one and that sort of like gives you the larger picture. They can't really do a uh, one where you can't take the other kids to see it. Mm. You know, that's cutting off a huge section of their audience. So I think it will mostly remain stuck on the telly. And I don't think we're probably, I, I hope we are going to see daredevil in the MCU films, but it's less likely now that I've seen this. If you know what I'm saying, Mm. Rosario Dawson is Claire. Some oh of the best delivery of some great lines. I mean, they were great yes. lines, and she really delivered them like she was thinking them at the time. Yes. Also, Rosario Dawson. Awesome. Anything. Right. I, I said this when we were watching it. I have never seen that woman do anything that it didn't seem like she picked it because she thought she would enjoy it, and then she had real great fun She doing was it. even good in Alexander. That I don't recall. I may have blocked it, it was out. Absolute <laughs> fucking tosh starring Bullseye. And yet she was really good. Mm-hmm. Many, many people out there loathe Death Proof. Oh yeah. Personally, no, I really liked her in there. I quite like Death Proof. She was fantastic in it. Yeah. I don't like Death Proof, but I did like her in that. Mm. Um so so yeah, there was a nice mix of uh, female characters in this. One of the things I really liked about Claire, actually, albeit that it did sort of descend into that same thing that Rachel does in Batman Begins, where it's like, well, I'll be there for you, I'll, I'll be your friend, and I'll help you, but it's not going to go any further than that because this isn't going to work. Um, but I did like the idea that um, she was... They're kind of playing with the Florence Nightingale thing, but she got herself involved in it. It wasn't, you know, he doesn't land in her ER and she has to help him because that's her job. And then she decides that, you know, ooh, his muscliness is just too intense to restrain herself. Um, But she actually saw him in need of assistance and chose to help him. Yeah. Um, and and got herself involved in this 
off her own back, as as did Karen. And I think I like the fact that that's the way they're going with the women in this show. Because even Vanessa, to some degree, she has the option to walk away from Fisk and she chooses to go back in and engage with him. Again, she because of the blankness of her expression all the time, it always seems like she's running an angle and she might be a Dornish spy after all. Mm, she may well be. Um, but... But I, like I said, that that to me is a positive, that that's the way they're going. Yeah. Um, Eldon Henson as Foggy Nelson, one of the absolute best aspects of it, because everything's so black and dark and dour, he's yeah. fun and funny and heartfelt and positive and you just want more Foggy. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and After every find. black, horrible, awful fight scene, it's like, well, fuck, he's on screen, thank God. I dread the day when he'll be tied to a chair, being beaten to a pulp, and I'll be worried that Foggy... If they just kill Foggy, I might be out. That might be it for me. That would be the trip switch for you, would it? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. I, I'm not going to go on and on about him. He's not that deep a character yet, but he's Samwise Gamgee. You know, he's yes, the he's the, totally the good is. heart pushing forwards. And um, I, I like the fact that he's also weak and, and a little bit selfish at times. And, like, obviously he, he really wants to Karen to himself. And there was that one time when Karen said, Feel my face. I want to see what Matt would feel if she felt my face. And it was like, yeah, you're number two, Foggy. I do like having fun with you, but really, I'm just using you as an in to get Matt. That wasn't literally what she meant, but she's not very good at manipulating people. It's always bloody obvious what she's doing you say she's not very good at it but she gets enough practice yeah she does that a lot well yeah when she manipulated um uh ben into to interviewing uh fisk's mother oh i wonder if we just like walk to the end of this corridor and maybe just like knock on a door and it was like you can't expect a trained, professional, experienced reporter not to see where he's being led at this point. Mm. <sighs> you know, during an attempt at manipulation, like the one that's going on here, Karen, I would have gone with you just being straight with me. But instead she manipulates him and gets him killed. She gets him fucking murdered. At the funeral when she's crying, it's like, this is all totally your fault, Karen. What the fuck were you thinking? Because she internalised all of that, we don't really get to see it explored in this season, which we kind of really did. So I think maybe what should have happened is that she was doing that and someone else should have been killed, not Ben. Mm. And that we should have explored her guilt over that happening and her terror over what she's done and how she's enraged the Kingpin. Because I mean, ultimately the Kingpins are now so angry at absolutely everybody. It almost kind of diminishes the fact that she killed Wesley. It all blurs into one. Yeah, just gonna fucking kill all of you with the worst amounts of pain. But again, that pushes the Kingpin out of that shades of grey possibility. He just becomes this black evil pit of hate and fury. Um, one of the best aspects of his story was, of course, his flashback with their, their, you know, young Wilson and sort of leading up to that. And uh, I was really engaged with that and, and could have done with a lot more. I particularly like how that traumatic moment crystallized in his mind and gave him the dependence on the uh, white painting, the rabbit in the snowstorm, to take him back to that moment. And the fact that he habitually, he has like 
20 sets of uh, cufflinks and always goes for his father's to remind him of that moment. That's great stuff. I'm not interested in the crime aspects so much as I am in the actual what makes Wilson who he is and what makes Matt who he is. That's why flashback episodes are so important because you need to get the now and the then and then marry the two up. Uh, more flashbacks for all the characters yeah frankly, well, been... you know flashbacks for foggy I, I hope we get some you know, young foggy and uh, young karen later on in the uh, in the series guess we won't be getting any young ben um and that's terrible as well there are two journalists two in the marvel universe one of them is a photojournalist his name is peter parker he hasn't been introduced yet the other one is ben urich i mean there'll be others like joe robertson but there's just so few and there's so few major support characters for daredevil you kill one of them why worst move they could have made at that stage Mm. i mean not the worst move they could have killed foggy or they could have killed karen or they could have killed fisk but i mean one of the worst moves bad idea guys bad call and I think maybe the high point for me was actually in episode two. It was all really, it's not so much downhill from here, but episode two is where I thought this is going to be really fucking good. And it's the end of cut man. When Matt beats his way through to that kidnapped child, the desperation in that fight Mm. with Matt collapsing time and again to get back up to just sort of like, you know, I've got an ounce of strength left. I'll use it to punch this guy. It was like the raid but like the raid for somebody beyond the point of exhaustion. And it really made it seem like this is a guy who is holding on by his fingernails. He is not Captain America. He is just about getting by. He gets stabbed and shot at and beaten and bruised and bloodied all the time. To the point where actually when you're watching him get into later fights, you're like, hang on a second, you've had about 12 seconds to heal from the last one. All these guys are doing here is bursting your stitching underneath. Like, you, you'd start to lose blood terribly in the middle of this fight after they've hardly hit you at all. Not so much that this is not believable, but give it a rest. But that all happened after this fantastic hallway fight. And especially tying it to young Matt and the idea that he's this um, lost, terrified child and that he gets to bring back a lost, terrified child. And he's powered on by his own father's example of a man who just keeps getting back up again. Because that's really all he's got at that point. The kind of character beats I love. It's one of those incredibly meaningful fights. As well as being spectacular to watch, it, it just defined his character. Mm, It did. And also because they were doing that thing where you didn't see everything that was happening because you'd have, you know, they'd come out in the corridor, they'd throw a few punches, then he'd throw somebody back into the other room. You'd hear clattering and and banging and then he'd stumble out and then two more guys would come from around the corner. And there was there was this constant shifting between what you've seen and what you think you've seen. And what you hear and what that then appears to be when you see the aftermath of that. And it it was really visually creative. It wasn't just slug, kick, bash, headbutt, flip. <laughs> all of you guys come at me one at a time and I will dispatch you all in various relatively mediocre ways, much like Van Damme. Indeed. It set it apart. And 
I believe it can reach those heights again. And I'll be looking forward to more Daredevil. I just hope that nobody leaps forwards face first onto a spike to prove a point. Fingers crossed. You know? Oh, one thing I did really like, actually, and this has to do with the aesthetic and how they've um, they've done sort of set dressing and things. Um, one of the points about the, uh, the movie that I really liked was how they depicted... Matt's um, lifestyle and how he's arranged his um, the things to assist him. So little touches like the the Braille watch and the way he folds the money in his wallet so he knows what he's yeah. giving people. Now, that Matt is very wealthy and clearly has an array of things that he's bought himself to, to make his life easier. This Matt is nigh on broke but there are things he still needs to be able to get by in a world in which he can't see the details. So the, his, um, his array of assistances, if you like, are all kind of cobbled together. So he's got um, his phone, he's got a ringtone for everybody where um, it says their name over and over again. So he knows who's calling. Um, and, that's something that it's never it's never spoken of. It just happens when his phone rings. He's got um, a, a speaking alarm clock that tells him what time it is, but it's it looks really old and filthy and like he picked it up in a flea market or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and things like his his uh, apartment, his furniture, none of it matches. It's all obviously very cobbled together. Um, his uh, the kitchen counters, the um, the front wall of the it's like chipboard. It you know it's it's seems to have been put together by somebody who has no money and doesn't care what he surrounds himself with visually. Um, and he makes a couple of offhand comments to people about you know he never turns the lights on because obviously he doesn't need them on. Yeah. Um, and, and that uh, fairly uh, astonishing billboard at the uh, outside his yeah. windows, which of course have no curtains, yeah. and mm. the, the, the like I say, the extraordinary lighting scheme that creates in his apartment. It's it's like no other. It, yeah, I actually thought that looked really good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't. It's want a little that bit Blade Runnery, obviously, but yeah, it's a it's a bit sci-fi. But I thought it looked pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, that that was something you know, incorporating, uh, expressing his uh, visual impairments through how you set up the world around him um, was something that I thought they did very well. I already talked about really liking the switch to the red costume at the end, didn't I? We didn't really talk about the red costume much. Um, uh, people are saying, you know, worst Marvel costume ever. I don't think it's that bad. I think, you know, it, it suffers from the bulbous head of the Captain America mask in uh, uh, Avengers Assemble. They'll probably update it by the time season two comes along, in which case, not really that much of a problem, is it? It was so fleeting. It's just great to see him work up to that. I kind of wish he'd done it earlier. Mm. It looks practical, which is all I really yes, ask for. It does. And but basically, that convinced me that it, well, I was looking at a superhero at long last. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But in general, it lacked the exotic and the tropes of the Daredevil comic, like Bullseye and Electra and the Hand, so that when something weird did turn up, like a like a ninja on fire, it didn't quite gel with the rest of it. And I'm hoping with the costume for the second season, they'll kind of take the gloves off a bit, or rather, put the gloves on, 
and go, okay, we're going to make a, you know, now that we've got this grounding and very real uh, uh, crime drama thriller, we can play with that a little bit more. I specifically like how Madame Gao goes, I must return to my homeland. And they, they like, coquettishly had her say, uh, I'll speak to you in my homeland sp- speech. And they never say Chinese. And then she goes, oh, China? Oh, it's further than there. Now, America is in the other side of the world to China. So where is this woman going? Which is interesting. So basically, the more super it feels, the more I sort of sit up and take notice. The more it feels like an angry man going out in black pyjamas and exercising his demons by punching rapists, the more I kind of slump back in my chair. They have pretty much lost me on the kingpin. I now don't care what happens to him. And Vincent D'Onofrio's doing Brando as Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now, a film I hate because of how unbelievably nihilistic it is. Let's all look into the heart of darkness. Man is ultimately savage and will destroy everything around him. And all we can do is build up a civilization of lies and continue doing exactly that and pretend that we aren't savages at heart. I hate that mentality. Hate it, hate it, hate it. I'm all for evolving and moving on. Confronting this, but not despairing in the face of it. So automatically, I'm taking away something that people who adore Brando are not. And I'm really, really pleased that this is making people happy. And I'm really, really pleased that this is jumping to the top of people's Marvel list. And they go, nope, this is exactly what I wanted in the first place. This is exactly what Marvel should be. There is a place for it. There is the Marvel Knights imprint. So we're talking your Punisher comics, your Moon Knight comics. Your street-level guys who deal with street-level crime and usually have to employ pretty grim methods to do so. Even Blade, Ghost Rider, your supernatural action horror. That all happens here too. The disparity is that I don't want to spend 13 hours with Frank Castle any more than I want to spend two hours with Frank Castle. You know, I want to spend 13 hours with Captain America, but we can't have that in TV form, so ultimately we end up with a little time to spend with characters I love, and a lot of time to spend with characters uh, that might not bear up to that much close examination. Marvel Knights have never really sat well with the rest of the Marvel Universe, and I think that's kind of the way it's going to stay. I'm very... No, yeah, I'm very disappointed that this is not the kind of uh, daredevil that could stand toe-to-toe with Captain America as seen in The Winter Soldier, and could stand on the bridge of the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, and could take a very active part in Civil War. That's the daredevil I was hoping for. But as it stands, it's a very accomplished crime thriller and many many parts of it work extremely well and clearly it can stand toe to toe with the most popular of tv adult drama which appears to have been what was most important in the first place but as i said ultimately it's got the firm of nelson and murdoch there is that sense of that they want to change things and make things better and make things right and you know maybe we'll get a sunny day in new york So more than most other TV shows, for this, I have hope. I have hope. See you next week for Ang Lee's Hulk. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And Neural Neural and Shake shake complete. Complete.